This, the Chad and Cheese podcast brought to you in partnership with TA Tech. TA Tech, the Association for Talent Acquisition Solutions. Visit tatech.org. Okay, Joel, quick question. Yep. What happens when your phone vibrates or your texting alert goes off? <laughs> Dude, I pretty much check it immediately. And I bet everyone listening is reaching to check their phones right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I call it our Pavlovian dog reflex to text messaging. Yeah, that's probably why text messaging has a freaking 97% open rate. What? Crazy high candidate response rate within the first hour alone. Which are all great reasons why the Chad and Cheese podcast love text to hire from Next. Love it. Yep, that's right. Next with the double X. Not the triple X. So if you're in talent acquisition, you want true engagement and great ROI. That stands for return on investment, folks. And because this is the Chad and Cheese podcast, you can try your first text to hire campaign for just 25% off. Boom. So how do you get this discount? You're asking yourself right now. Tell them, Chad. It's very simple. You go to chadcheese.com. And you click on the next logo in the sponsor area. Easy. No long URL to remember. Yeah. Just go where you know. Chadcheese.com and next with two X's. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I don't know why it took us so long, but believe it or not, Hung Lee, ladies and gentlemen, is finally a guest on the show. Hung Lee, uh, welcome, man. Uh, Some of our listeners do not know you. What? Um, I'm going to quickly introduce you as the CEO of Workshape.io, or as Chad likes to say, (laughs) Workshapeio, and uh, probably more well-known by our listeners for your curation of recruiting brain food, the weekly uh, email that goes out. Hung, welcome. Uh, good, to, good to have you here. Finally, guys. L- let me just say it's a massive honor for me to uh, attend uh, this show. It feels like it's a milestone, um, and uh, it's definitely on my <laughs> calendar. It's something I'm going to frame. This is a big moment for me. Thank you very much for having me. You can tell he's 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 a Brit because he's saying all this stuff, and you can hear you know in behind he's like, I, I can't wait to get over this fucking podcast for God's sake. Yeah, and we have a very bad <laughs> we have a bad habit of getting guests that sound way smarter than us. We need to, uh, which is not hard. We need to. Down, downgrade our audience <laughs> or our guests for sure. We couldn't downgrade our audience anymore, but our guests need to be uh, taken down a notch or two. So, Hung, what did we miss in the uh, the intro? What do we need to know about you that uh, we don't already? You know what? Um, I'm so focused these days on on, on doing the, those two projects. It's hard to hard to me to fill in the gaps. Really, um, I mean, maybe. You guys are probably very familiar with it yourself. When you do something media related, um, you give so much out. It, it's, it can be a bit consuming. So when mm-hmm. people say, oh, what are you doing in your spare time? I'm thinking, I have some fish. <laughs> you, know, <I've>, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, what else do I do? You know, I like hanging out now and again if I see my friends. But 
uh, but yeah, it's it's an all-consuming thing to be one of these people that um, you know is trying to support the community and push the uh, the, the marble forward for everyone. You know. Yeah, but he's he's HR's most eligible bachelor. That's one of the things that he's leaving out there. Yes, he is working hard. And and as we've as we've determined before the show, with a name like Hung, if you don't bring it, like there's going to be a lot of disappointment. So maybe there's a reason he's still you know single. Can I just credit you guys? It's like two minutes, less than two, less than three minutes in, and you, you already got that one in. So <laughs> I just want to say, well done. Joel's you know? been waiting. Joel has been waiting at least a year. When he first came out with that joke, he's like, yeah. holy shit. He's had that thing holstered, man. It took a long time to get our schedules to sync to have you on the show. So yes, I have been have been waiting for a while. Let's talk about recruiting brain food for a second. Why did you do it? What's the process? Uh, you have advertisers. Like, just give us sort of the lay of the land and what you do with uh, the brain food product. Okay, so I mean, the genesis of recruiting brain food was really. Um, I mean, I, I personally found it very difficult to um, find great content online. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. You know, a lot of quality content, but there's also so much that's crap. Junk, yeah. Um, that it was very difficult for, for, for me to really, you know, where is the good stuff? Where is the consistent good stuff? And I just started collecting links as people do. You know, you bookmark them, you put them into pockets or whatever it might be to consume at a later date. Um, and it just occurred to me, you know what, if I started sharing this list of people, maybe other people can, can get piggyback off the work I'm doing uh, and they can get some of the good stuff. Uh, that way as well. So brain food really started off as a way for me to try and improve the signal to noise ratio, if you like, using startup speak um, and uh, and to make the internet a little bit smaller for myself. You know, the internet got so big that it was unmanageable. So I wanted to try and shrink it down into a more manageable size. And that's what uh, recruitment brain food, that was the start of the, the newsletter. It's basically an attempt to make it smaller. So that you know? sounds really, really warm and fuzzy, but there was certainly <laughs> some interest where you're building your personal brand and you're also getting uh, the workshape.io product out there. That certainly had something to do with it, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's another, I mean, nothing you, what I find is that most things that you do tend to have, uh, you know, value in multiple areas, right? So, you know, when you do anything public, I wasn't unaware of the fact that, hey, listen, if it does turn into something, uh, then maybe this would be a nice inbound strategy for me in some way. Um, we, of course, in the, in, Europe had the GDPR thing happening, um, uh, you know, last year, I think it was, um, and Brain Food started two years ago. So I had a little bit, uh, a look around the corner and thinking, you know, maybe I need to really get consent from the people I'm emailing. Um, uh, and one of the ideas was, hey, if I was able to launch a newsletter, then maybe um, I'll be able to email these folks without needing to bother too much or be too worried about the GDPR side of things. So for sure, there was multi multiple kind of uh, reasons for, for doing it. Uh, but primarily, it was it was for personal consumption was the first thing. Um, and all of those latter things started just coming in uh, as the newsletter got a bit more popular. Well, then it started to snowball, right? And now you have, I mean, you have a series of lists that that you have available to the public as well. So talk a little bit about that. And how big is oh, your yeah, list, Hung? So I think Joel's got this size thing going on, doesn't he? Um, the the <laughs> I have issues. Yeah, that's okay. We can talk about that he's, later. He's overcompensating um, as usual because size does matter when we're talking about email lists. That's it. So, so the email list, um, in terms of subscribers, I think it's something like ten thousand six hundred or so right now. 
Um, so, you know, not you know, mega massive, you know, I think a lot, lots of people yeah, are into the hundreds of thousands and so on. But um, I think we've got um, a, a good bunch of people that are, uh, seem to be reading it. I seem to be uh, very into the idea of, of, of the, the brain food. Um, and, and yeah, they seem to be engaged. So, so that's growing and growing well. So I'm very happy with that. But you have lists around conferences and, and, and other lists too, right? That you guys, I mean, it's like a crowdsourcing type of, uh, curation that's happening yeah. right now, which is, which that, I mean, has, has really grown and exploded lately as well. Right. Yeah. You know, one thing that I really learned value on is, is if you, if you've got a network, you, you got to mm-hmm. put the network to use. You know, I think a, a lot of people don't really ask for help um, in a public way. I mean, today is a great example. I got an email from a, a, a subscriber who said, who, who had a problem about, hey, listen, Hung, how do I, uh, what are the things that, you know, employers are looking for when they're looking, recruiting for a head of talent? She was going for a job there. Uh, and I was thinking, you know what? I could give this person advice, unqualified advice, I may add, because I'm just one guy um, giving her one perspective. Um, uh, what she should have done and what I recommended her to do was to publicly ask for that inf- information and get multiple inputs, multiple sources of opinion, um, which I think she's going to do. So, you know, I, for me, I default to asking a lot of people. Um, I rarely ask one person for advice because, you know, that person is only going to give me their angle. Uh, and even though I might respect them in, in terms of what they know, uh, it's only going to be one narrow view of the world. Um, but if I stick it out more broadly, then I'm going to get multiple perspectives. And then hopefully you'll be able to make a better decision as a result of that. So we talked about some of the the positives uh, for for your business, but I'm sure like taking time away from uh, the startup is challenging as well. Talk about some of the things that the, the, the challenge that you have balancing, you know, brain food versus workshape.io and, and how you kind of maneuver that, uh, you know, that obstacle course. Yeah. I think realistically you have to change your, your business plan. You have to change acquisition strategy. You have to do all of those things. Um, when you try to, to ride both of these horses. Um, so to give, to put this into plain language, uh, basically, with Workshape, um, it, one of the big things that cost time was obviously customer acquisition. Um, uh, you know, you've got to go and, and sell to customers. Mm-hmm. You've got to go and, and, and pitch to them and demo and do all of those things, labor-intensive work, um, which I found you could not do that uh, with brain food uh, running alongside. Um, so what I've done with brain food is basically always put a link back to Workshape um, so that as the audience on the newsletter grows, I'm actually getting inbound uh, customers signing into the product um, and they're converting through that means. So, you know, the discovery of customers has changed. I've had to change the pricing on it. So obviously I have to drop that down because I'm no, I'm no longer doing the high touch sales. Um, uh, but I'm hoping that that will compensate by higher volume um, and lower customer acquisition costs. Interesting. So let's talk about Workshape.io. What a lot of people, I think, just know you for uh, the Brain Food newsletter. Right. Um, tell us about your startup. So Workshape is basically a matching product that helps companies recruit software engineers. Um, our main idea behind this was that, uh, you know, we, we felt that the problem in hiring tech people wasn't 
a discovery issue. Um, you know, people are getting easier to find these days. Um, lots of data out there, lots of great tooling out there to help you identify the person. Um, but uh, the, the person has stopped listening to us, right? <laughs> they don't want to talk to recruiters, um, especially if you're uh, a technical person um, with a high demand skill set. Um, the last person you want to interact with seems to be someone who's pitching you by email or, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So what we wanted to do with Workshape was basically to uh, create an environment where engineers could discover new job opportunities, but be insulated from all of that uh, over-recruitment messaging that they're getting from more public places. Um, we knew that LinkedIn was problematic for software people. Uh, we knew any place that you know was uh, had, had really had an open database where you could search for candidates was going to be noisy for those guys. Um, so we wanted to create a low-noise, high-signal environment uh, for software engineers to conduct job discovery. Um, and basically what this means, guys, is that there's no search and no ads on Workshape. It's a matching product. Uh, we basically take information about what the engineer wants. Uh, we visualize that in terms of uh, uh, time over tasks, uh, which we then display as a Workshape. And we match that directly with an organization that has a compatible job. Um, and the idea is if we can remove a lot of that you know, uh, ad and apply mechanic, uh, hopefully we can just connect people together um, that should uh, naturally have a conversation. Um, and then we as a platform can get out of the way and let those two folks have a conversation. So I watched a video that you put together. I mean, it was a really short video and it was cool because it showed just how easily somebody could come in, create their own work shape. 60 seconds, man. Yeah. That was our target. We wanted to get someone through the flow in 60 seconds because... That was awesome. Yeah, an engineer is not going to spend time filling out forms, right? So you know, one, of the, one of the main things that is problematic when you're doing a matching product is... The, the, the amount of information you collect is directly um, associated with how accurate your match can be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then you have another problem because the more you ask for that information, um, the less people are going to complete it, um, particularly if you're highly skilled in demand. Um, so uh, what we wanted to do was really find a way in which we could get the engineer to give the information that we wanted, which is how do you want to focus your time as a software engineer um, and do it in 60 seconds or less. Um, uh-huh. and, and that's where the, the workshape idea came from, uh, the idea of not doing it text-based at all. You know, we're kind of anti-text generally. Um, we think that the description of what someone wants to do can be done visually um, uh, with a, a kind of a, a focus distribution. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's one of the, probably the, the best innovations of the product, I would say. Let's take a look at backing up a little bit in, in the bigger picture, because you talk about matching and this is a, a way cool way to actually match. It's, it's really creating your, as you call it, and you named it work shape against the actual work shape that a, um, that a company's looking for, for a specific job. Yep. Now backing up in matching. Who else, I mean, who else is doing matching in a very interesting or cool way out in the industry today? Um, You know what? I think we're all trying to do, uh, there's a lot of companies trying to do this type of play. Um, uh, I think that uh, most of them are trying to do it algorithmically, um, you know, in the sense of, you know, they're trying to pass a lot of text. 
Um, so this is one thing that I think we did very well to avoid, um, uh, where you know you're trying to interpret what this person is meaning when they've put together these words on this resume. Um, and then try and figure out whether that matches to a job description, which again is a lot of text yeah. that you need to figure out what this person means. Mm -hmm. and, and this is why text-based matching services have generally never been successful because, of course, word, words are naturally ambiguous. Um, uh, you know, if I say project manager to you, Uh, that may mean one thing to one company, may mean something very different to another company. Well, I mean, and what you're saying really is job descriptions suck. So, and they're all text-based. So trying to work off of data that sucks, garbage in, garbage out. Is that, is that what I'm getting? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And it's not garbage, man, because we need ambiguity to have a conversation. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, if, if, it, if I knew everything about you um, tran 100% transparently, probably we would not be friends, Chad. Looking on my, my, uh, True, my yeah. Facebook uh, profile or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reason why we have relationships is because we need a little bit of doubt to say, oh, you know, maybe he didn't really mean that. Or, you know, I give this person a little bit of slack because maybe my interpretation is wrong. And that's what the, that, that, that ambiguity is the fluidity which gives society um, uh, the ability to, 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 to succeed. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to being to matching people to opportunities um text is problematic because we're using text words in different ways um and for us you know one of our solutions was simply not to not simply trying to dodge the words completely you know we're not going to try and get smarter at you know uh, nlp or whatever and have you know huge teams of data scientists trying to figure out what people mean when they write certain things we're just going to say you know what you've got your text-based document there you keep it where it is we're going to get you into our system and, and you're going to tell us uh with the focus distribution what it is that you prefer to do um here are the 10 things that are more or less universal software engineering activities uh, what would you prefer to do more of or less than um, and they simply, with a drag and drop interface, they tell us that, um, and that gives us some quantified data, uh, which we can then accurately match to an employer that has designed a job along exactly the same parameters. As you know, last year, uh, Microsoft dropped a good chunk of change on GitHub. Um, and since GitHub is kind of your, your sweet spot, what are your thoughts on GitHub, LinkedIn, Microsoft, where that whole, uh, that whole thing is going and how impactful will it be on the industry? I think it's absolutely seismic. I mean, uh, Microsoft obviously want to own the workspace, I think. Um, uh, and, you know, one of the things I'm very impressed by with Microsoft is their uh, sort of recovery um, from, uh, from a point where, you know, they were... I wouldn't say they were never moribund because they, they always made a huge amount of money. Um, uh, but they, they, there was a period of time where they was kind of people stopped talking about Microsoft as being uh, relevant as an, as a, a shaper of the future. Um, uh, you know, when all we were doing was you know using their documentation software, the Office Suite, and what have you. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but um, they've really understood, I think, that work is changing. Um, and the purchases they've made, I think, are all about trying to um, position themselves to be the infrastructure provider for the future of work. So I'm predicting that they'll acquire Upwork this year. Would you agree or disagree with that prediction? I'm not going to stake my sort of hat on it, but I think that would be a smart purchase. Um, and I'm agree, I'm, I agree with you in terms of that's where they're going. They, they, they understand that the, the, the shape of the company will change. 
um, which is why they're moving uh, strategically away from the desktop. Um, you look at LinkedIn, for instance, they, that's providing a social layer of data on top of the, the office suite. Um, uh, you're looking at Microsoft Azure, that's providing cloud services. That again, take it out of the company sort of facility. Um, you're looking at GitHub, which is open source collaboration across companies. Um, uh, they've even had attempts to buy, in fact, not attempts, they've, they've bought it, they just haven't executed properly. You know, stuff like Skype, Yammer, and those types of collaboration tools. Um, and it's all about, I think, trying to understand, you know what, human beings will work together in future, but they may not work together in the same company in the same way. Um, and Microsoft want to be the player to, to, to be the, uh, the organization that you have to interface with at least one of their products to get anything done. So, yeah, I'm very impressed by, by what they're doing for sure. They haven't been able to really make some of those big acquisitions happen. What, what makes you think that they're going to be able to take these other big acquisitions and make them become fluid within kind of like a, a, a workspace ecosystem? You know, I think the leadership has a lot to do with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, they're they're, they're led. I mean, this is not me to to, to hammer down on Steve Ballmer and those type of folks. Um, uh, uh, But Steve Ballmer basically was a sales guy. Um, and he, yeah, he wanted to hammer out sales, what was making money at the time. It was the office suite. It was that type of stuff. Um, and he didn't really have the, the technical DNA, I think, um, uh, to handle, um, a, a rapidly changing environment. Uh, you uh, you want a sales guy, a CEO, when you've got a mature market and the market's going to basically stay similar for a period mm-hmm. of time because uh, then he can optimize uh, your business and he can make you super efficient. Uh, but right now, you've got Satya Nadella there. He's a tech guy. Um, he's he's aggressively repositioned the business. Um, and I think he is exactly the right sort of set of hands, really, on the wheel right now um, for for this type of company. Let's do a, a hard pivot. And then as we're talking about Microsoft and, and the leadership and I believe some amazing acquisitions and, and I believe, you know, the, the prospect of the acquisition of Upwork or what have you. And then now let's look at Google because they are doing business in an entirely different way, just like Google does. Right. As you see what they're doing with Cloud Talent Solution, with uh, Google for Jobs, you know, obviously the, you know, the, the, the hire by Google, I think is what they're calling it now, the applicant tracking system product. Mm-hmm. What do you see happening there from the standpoint? Because it seems much more elementary. I mean, not that they're doing it wrong, but it seems much more elementary on the Google side than it does the Microsoft side. Am am I missing something? No, that's expected though. That's how they make products. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, if you look at Google's most successful products, they were all little side projects that, you know, different engineers decided, hey, listen, let's go and do it. Um, Gmail was that, you know, probably one of their main products that are widely used. That was definitely emerged out of a hackathon. So um, uh, I think now Google, uh, Hire for Google emerged from that as well. So um, this is how Google do product development. um, And I think that um, it, they'll test it uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a startup and then obviously not a startup but their DNA is still startup I think um, they'll test it in terms of what the users do um, and then they'll, they'll double down if it works The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. 
jobs. What are your thoughts on the Google for Jobs initiative? Well, I think because Google controls sort of the, the access to the internet to a large degree, it's, it's going to have a huge impact on on how we advertise jobs. Um, it's a clean shot indeed. You know, it's it's a, it's pretty clear that they, if, let's pull back just a little bit, but if you think that Google's original mission was to organize the world's information and make it the one-stop shop where you would find what you were looking for, mm-hmm. um, uh, you'd recognize that, you know, over the last five years or so, that stopped happening. Um, you know, you, you found like mini aggregators doing what Google did because Google didn't do it anymore. Um, example, uh, Indeed for jobs, you know, you would you, you would not go and Google and start searching for jobs necessarily because you'd know that Indeed actually had a much better, a much more well-organized inventory there. Right. Um, you're looking at booking a flight. You don't go on Google necessarily. You go on something like Skyscanner um, or, or some, a product like that. Again, uh, you know, another aggregator that, Focus on an industry vertical and basically said, we're going to deliver you uh, more accurate information than Google can. Um, and there's all kinds of examples where, where that's occurred. So I think what Google has done uh, with Google for Jobs and indeed with their new travel service and all the rest of it is really think, okay, we need to take back some of this uh, this mind share about us being the one place that is the the, the, the start and finish of discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think they've looked at Indeed and thought, right, we're going to try and kill them. Um, and, and that's what... <laughs> That's what Google for Jobs is. All right. So, so this is a great, great segue. Uh, so let's talk about Indeed and, and their sort of place in this new yeah. world. And um, I'll throw in ZipRecruiter if you want to talk about sort of what I think is a, a tier of sort of the big boys in the job search space. Where do they fall into this new, uh, new era? Firstly, I love Indeed because they're one of the most aggressive companies I've ever seen, right? Um, <laughs> if, you, if you say aggressive equals assholes, then yes, I agree 100%. No, no, they were <laughs> assholes. Um, uh, they're, they're actually very nice people. Um, and the, Have the, you seen some I, of these policies they've, ro- they've rolled out and how they're crunching the market? I mean, yeah, it, it, is, it, is, it, is it bad business? We'll find out, right? Are they making a shit ton of cash? Yeah, they're making a shit ton of cash, but you know, is this short term, long term, man? I don't know, man. I just don't. I believe relationships build things, and these guys aren't building relationships. Nah, but Chad, there's no rule book when it comes to business, man. It's not about playing nice. Um, and and Indeed came in with an offering, um, and the job boards. Um, uh, it was very clear, I think, really from the beginning. Um, that indeed at one point was going to kill them. They didn't see it though. <laughs> that was the fun part. <laughs> they, they, I, I think they, they were in willful denial, you know, because they, sh- they, 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 they saw the, the short-term traffic. Uh, they got the big dopamine hit from all of that and they weren't yeah. able to, to do anything about it. Um, so, so basically, I, I have no problem with Indeed's aggressive, um, some might say anti-competitive policies. I think that's how you run the business. That's how you, you make the money that they have. They've also doubled down, I think, with a lot of purchasing themselves these days, uh, buying interesting bits of uh, software. Mm-hmm. They've, they've, they've hired a lot of, yeah, they've hired a lot of people as well to work on their own internal products. Uh, and in fact, over the last twelve months or so, they've just been rolling out new innovative products into the into the recruiting marketplace um, uh, uh, almost every month, it seems. Um, so, I think they're really looking for uh, what's going to happen if Google 
for jobs does succeed in in, in becoming uh, retaking the spot as the aggregator for job discovery. Um, but I think Indeed will will do it. They'll find a way to do it. Um, whether they stay as an aggregator type of business, I don't know. Whether they move into you know more of a uh, potentially as an ATS type product, why not? You know, do you see that more as an acquisition versus build? Do you think they actually have time to build what they need to get away from the big business of and and the and the also the dopamine that they're hitting themselves with? every day versus, right. versus that next level pivot. Okay, I'm going to give you an answer that you as a podcast uh, host uh, don't like, uh, but the answer is I don't. <laughs> <laughs> the, the answer is I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, I, re- I really don't know how they would do it. Um, but I think they will because they've got, uh, again, you look at the DNA of the business. Um, they, they, they spotted uh, an opportunity that no one else saw. They went ahead and did it in about 10 years. Ridiculous, you know, how, how quickly they became the size of business that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now they're diversifying with lots of different product developments. What are your thoughts on the Glassdoor acquisition? So I've got a problem generally with review sites, uh, and this is not specific to Glassdoor. Um, it's just that I, I don't believe that you can trust the data, right? Um, uh, in the sense that, you know, we are in the fake news era, folks. You know, we, we understand that people say things that aren't true. Um, so when you have a review site that's anonymized and it's, it's you know, that people are giving rankings and all the rest of it, I feel mm-hmm. a little bit uncomfortable with it because I do wonder whether, you know, who, who, who appears top may not be necessarily right. It's simply the organization has managed to game that system a little bit to get there. Um, and, you know, you're saying quite profound things into the market to say, you know what, that's rank number one and that's rank number 50, when in fact is that, you know, natural justice, so to speak. But hey, Glassdoor of themselves have, have, have been great as a business um, because they've managed to parlay the review uh, concept into, you know, a major business and a major player in the recruitment space. Um, I don't really have a strong opinion what it means for them to, to be part of a bigger company, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, like I say, I'm not sure review sites, uh, whenever I see uh, someone trying to pitch me a review site or say, Hong, what do you think of this? You know, I have to say I'm, I'm against it. Uh, I think it's, uh, potentially libelous, you know, um, and and not a great way for the buyer to do due diligence. I would say. Yeah. Well, and and we are in the era of uh, data and and anonymized data. I mean, just GDPR, making sure that everything is transparent, making sure that the user can control their own data on the candidate side. I mean, how's that going to happen on the review side? Anyway, I totally get where you're coming from. What about Zip? So we threw Zip in there. Where do you think their line is versus kind of like the the rest of the field? Because they're doing business differently, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, they've they've really been an up and coming. I think Zip have actually been one of the the sponsors of Brain Food recently as well. So um, (laughs) so yeah, they're very interesting. Does that that mean I can't say things about them? Please, again, that's awesome. You know, the, the ad space is super interesting because it's, it, it's obviously still a place where companies spend most of their money. It's, it's quite amazing that that's the case, right? Because the, the rhetoric um, at the operational level is, oh, we don't advertise with jobs. You know, we do all of this innovative stuff and et cetera, et cetera. Um, matching. Well, they do matching. They do direct sourcing. Yeah. They do, you know, all kinds of amazing whiz-bang stuff. But I mean, they've hired a shit ton of developers uh, to do R&D. And pretty much in Israel, pretty much a good amount of it's around the, the matching 
piece. The AI tried to understand what the hell, just like we were talking about earlier on the text side of the house, what does that resume actually mean against this uh, this this requisition? Yeah, and a, a company like Zip, and, and in fact, all of these aggregated type of businesses do have just an enormous data set um, mm-hmm. uh, from which they should be able to develop um, a much uh, more efficient algorithms to do that matching. Um, so it, it really depends on how um, uh, how, how deep they can pull that information out. I mean, again, in Europe, you're going to have all kinds of consent issues you've got to worry about and, and all those types of things. So it, I think what might be uh, the case is that you'll end up having diff- very different technology products in different legislative environments, um, and they'll, they'll emerge and they'll, they may, in fact, be quite separate. Um, so in the US, for instance, you might see um, uh, these matching products that are based on you know, non-consent driven uh, uh, data collection, mm-hmm. let's say. Yep. Um, but, but I don't think you can make that product in Europe anymore. And you can't sell that product in Europe anymore. So Europe will do something else um, and it will service its market in a different way. Um, and, and we're kind of moving now towards... Uh, they call it the splinter net, <laughs> you know, the idea that, uh, have you heard of this term? No. Um, okay, Sp- the splinter net, it's splintering. Um, it's no longer a case where we can think of a global, a unified system um, where, you know, you'll have these titanic organizations that just go smoothly across all of these countries. Uh, but in fact, you'll start getting um, uh, local players will be as, maybe as big as you're going to get. Mm. Um, because it's going to be local laws to say, hey, listen, you can't do that here. Or if you do do it from elsewhere, you can't sell it here. Um, and that even goes all the way to the to, to, to the top. So we're at HireConf uh, late last year. And I mean, just because of GDPR, I mean, they they killed 29 million profiles. Yeah. Hiring soft. HireConf, the conference for hiring soft. Yes. Yeah, that's it. My bad. Yeah, no, no doubt. <laughs> I mean, it's it's. Um, you know what? It's difficult because as, a, as, a, as an individual, I've got one view of it. And obviously, as a vendor and as someone who thinks that data is obviously important, I've got another view of it. So, so I'm, I'm very conflicted about where, where all of this lies. Um, but what is important to realize, I think, is on the spectrum of who cares about data, um, th- there's probably going to be three major players um, in terms of how legislative, how, where the legislative boundaries are. Um, on the one side, you, you're going to have, on the one extreme, you're going to have the EU, which is going to be super protective of the consumer rights and super protective of data privacy. Um, on the other extreme, you've got China, who literally yeah. don't give a fuck. Uh, you know, they're going to just take every single thing by default, they're going to have your information. And then in the middle, you're going to have the US, um, which probably has a sort of a looser idea behind it. Um, they're going to try and do the right thing. But hey, listen, you know, we're running a business. So you know, you'll probably find different products and different uh, uh, technology companies emerging from those three sides and they won't be able to sell to each other. So if you if you if you, if the Internet is splintering and we're sort of seeing these, I don't know, little fiefdoms per country. Do you think that recruiting is on a similar track? Like, is a recruiter in the U.S. going to be vastly different than a recruiter in the U.K. or Germany? Um, and and will they use different services and different skill sets? Like, what do you see with that? Yeah, it already is, Joe. Um, and and I think that that that's simply going to uh, be exacerbated by the drift of, of these te- uh, of these technology ecosystems. Um, I mean, I had a friend of mine. I'm, I'm meeting them later tonight. Actually, these guys are. 
I wouldn't, they're, they're high volume email messages, mm-hmm. right? So I wouldn't call them spammers per se. Um, but I think they're, they're, they're good dudes that know how to how to send a good email um but they say hey listen we stopped doing that in germany because every time we do that we get a response not from the, the person we send it to we get a response from their legal team. <laughs> <laughs> right. it's a new day my friend it is a new day <laughs> and and they say they say another thing say hey listen we also stopped doing it in the netherlands because we don't get the response from the legal team but we get the response from the person we email but they're very irate and we have to spend you know the next half hour uh, explaining why we going to delete their data and never email mm-hmm. them again um but we do send it to the uk guys because you know what you guys are okay with dealing with spam <laughs> so, uh, so so i think that's that was kind of a very local example of okay you're gonna have to have really localized strategies to do business and localized strategies to do yeah. recruiting but i think that's always yeah. been the case right i mean you, you can't it's not the same dog that we're trying to uh, dog that you skin, you don't skin dogs. You skin cats. <laughs> I don't know that I skin any of them, but uh, so we take a look at at the landscape just in the UK. I mean, just on let's just say your side of the pond. What startups out there are really interesting to you? I think that we have um, had a wave of innovation um, that is now starting to go mainstream. And, and actually, the most interesting thing for me is not necessarily the new shiny toys, but actually which toys are getting implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I think is is definitely uh, happening, is gone into the mainstream already, is, is the deployment of chatbots uh, into corporate businesses. Um, I'd be very surprised if uh, by the end of this year, um, uh, companies haven't deployed something of this type type and uh, are already using it. So uh, I think this type of technology where you, you, you're trying to change one of the very persistent problems in recruiting, which is, you know, this information gap that candidates have. Um, uh, chatbots have proven, I think, the, the business case that this is the technology you should be using to deal with that particular problem. Um, and then you're going to see um, uh, that adoption, I think, will, will radically change how, how companies uh, think about things like candidate experience and, and onboarding and, and all those types of things. So do you think a lot of that has to do with really process, though? Because, I mean, chatbots chat can help really candidates they can help recruiters and they can be a part of like kind of almost like RPA to an extent. Right. Right. I mean, that's really, I would say baseline, you're looking at RPA and then there might be some, you know, learning in there, what have you. Do you think it's because chatbots are easier to understand when you break it down to the process and say, look, from all these different tasks that you're currently doing, this technology, this, this chatbot, quote unquote, chatbot will actually take that all that away and you won't have to deal with it unless somebody wants to talk to an actual human being. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I'm a big fan of single-use products anyway, man. Um, you know, I think the idea of having a, a single system that does everything for you has always been a, a, a fool's, a kind of a fool's vision of, of, of innovation. Yeah. Um, and a lazy person's vision of innovation, really. You know, uh, it's, it's like some robot butler is going to take care of your life. That doesn't happen. <laughs> Joel um, is waiting for that right now. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> right after the sex robots i'm not even going to comment on that um the the sort of uh the, the, what i see is that as, as practical is basically single use tools that are going to help you get faster at one thing that you have to do um and uh what chatbots uh, i think can prove uh, can, can definitely do is do things like candidate updates and you know respond uh 24 by 7 um and uh and, and not leave the candidate hanging when they're asking for 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 you know questions that are easily answered uh by 
because the information is is um, what's the word objective, right? So you're not making judgment calls necessarily and giving that uh, data out there. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess the like one of the the really interesting things is that we thought initially that individuals might want to speak to a human being over a chatbot, but the evidence increasingly suggests that's not the case. And in fact, it's the opposite. Um, that people yeah. would prefer to deal with a, a chatbot in the first instance, uh, particularly when they're firstly uh, they're just about discovering the job or discovering that company, um, because you're just an information collection mode there, um, and you just need factual information right here and now. How much is this? How much are you paying? Uh, can you sponsor a visa? Do you need a degree uh, for for me to apply? All of that information can mm-hmm. be provided because it's objective. There's, you know, no bot is making a judgment call there. Um, and as a candidate, I can absolutely understand why I would like to extract that information through a bot rather than a human being, simply because it's more efficient. Um, like I don't have to, I don't have to invest any social capital to get that information. So let's talk about uh, automation for a little bit, and, and maybe the the future of sourcing. Um, because I think a lot of the things automation brings, you know, are are supportive of the end of sourcing or many parts of sourcing. Um, you know, Chad right. and I talk a lot about uh, Haikyuu's uh, legal battle with LinkedIn yeah. uh, and GDPR. Yeah. I mean, at some point, the the trend seems to be that the people are going to win and that their data is going to be protected and and that sort of thing. So, what does sourcing look like in five years? What are sort of your thoughts on on uh, you know the death of sourcing? I think it's going to die. Yeah. Um, I think if you study the history of sourcing, um, it started off as being a subset of recruiting, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Like everyone did a bit of sourcing, but you also did client relationship management, you did BD, you did admin, you did all of that stuff. But then when the social web started to emerge uh, and all of this data started uh, to to, to explode around us, um, you started to get figures that called themselves sources, not recruiters, um, whose primary activity was basically to go into the internet and extract human capital information um, as a specialist skill. And typically they might hand that information off to someone else who would do the outreach. um, Or they would be kind of providing a list building type service to say, hey, listen, I've just just mapped the candidate uh, uh, that uh, the candidate landscape that you're looking for. Here are the people you need to speak to. Um, so sourcing kind of split from recruitment, but I think it needs to now go back into recruitment. Do you see it happening in a market like this though? I mean, this is, I think these types of markets. So in the U S I mean, we're under 4% mm. unemployment. So one of the reasons why that happens is because it is so hard to find individuals in the first place. You have to really double down and really have a team that's focused on something like that. But when the market flips, then you can kind of go back to how you did business before. Do you think the market really chooses what happens? Or do you just think it was just a a natural evolution because humans are lazy as shit? Well, I I don't think humans are lazy. um, But I think efficiency is another word for laziness, (laughs) right? Um, uh, Like we want to do more with less. That's that's the nature of of what we are as as a species. Um, And it's what we are as, as a business as well. Um, so I think you know, when I say sourcing dead, I, of course it isn't. Um, but is it going to be the most important skill that you, uh, a recruiter has? I, I think probably not going forward. Um, if you think of what the primary skills a sourcer has, um, it is a person that is able to interact with an inefficient system uh, to pull out information from it. And on that note, Hung, thank you for joining me today. For those who want to connect with you or learn more, where should they go? 
Um, so I'm, I'm kind of uh, probably Twitter is a good place. So at Hung Lee would be uh, a good place to do uh, some messaging to me if you want to do that. Um, LinkedIn, I think I'm maxed out on connections, so no longer the, the right place um, to do that. Sign up to the newsletter, uh, you know, recruitingbrainfood.com. I email that every day, uh, sorry, every week, should I say, and, and I'm on it as an email. So if you want to get in touch with me that way, you can do it uh, through that channel as well. Since we didn't have you on in 2018, we need to double up in 2019. <laughs> so here in a few months, maybe six months or so, I think we should uh, start to reach out to listeners and ask them what they want to know from Hung Lee. So uh, we don't get stupid Joel and Chad questions. Through the listeners. Hey, uh, we're going to be in London this year, Hung. Hopefully you're there as well and we can uh, have a pint or two. And really do when it are right. you when are you guys in town so I can make sure I'm not July. here? Um, Wreckfest. Wreckfest. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I am here because I'm hosting one of the stages. So, um, so yeah, I'd love I'd love to see you guys, and it'd be great to have a pint with you. For awesome. Sure. Maybe a little Excellent. little live podcast is in the uh, future. Oh, that could be it. Uh, great idea, man. Chad, idea. I'm out. We, we out. out. See you later. Okay, 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 okay. Before we go, remember when I asked you about the whole reflex and check your text messages thing? Yeah, you know all about reflexes. Uh, and then I br- <laughs> brilliantly tied it to text messages, 97% open rate. Then I elegantly, elegantly <laughs> tied it to a better experience for your candidates. <laughs> Don't laugh, Chad. I can be elegant. Whatever, man. I know it's redundant. You already heard about text to hire, but you're still not using text to hire from next. What? I I know, man. Come on, man. Since advertising takes repetition to soak in, I just thought I'd remind you again. This was all by elegant design. It's all about text to hire and it's all about next and elegant design. So go to chadcheese.com, click on the next logo and get 25, yeah, I said 25% off your first text to hire campaign. Engage better, use text to hire from next. Two X's. Booyah. Thanks to our partners at TA Tech, the Association for Talent Acquisition Solutions. Remember to visit tatech.org. Hi, I'm Emma. Thanks for listening to my dad, the Chad, and his buddy Cheese. This has been the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Be sure to check out our sponsors because their money goes to my college fund. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.